And hey, if you're a guest with us here today, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we're so honored that you're here. In the seat backs in front of you, uh, there are some uh, little communication cards. And we'd love to have you fill one of those out, and you can turn it in at Guest Central. Right when you walk out the doors, you'll see a little Guest Central sign, and you give it to someone there. We'd love to meet you and be able to have a quick conversation with you, see if there's anything that we can do for you. And then this week, I'll send you an email just welcoming you to the church and uh, just letting you know we're so glad that you came today. Also, if you all were here last week, you got to see our preview for At The Movies. Uh, At The Movies is going to be so much fun. There was popcorn all over the floor, so you know everybody had a good time. And here's what we're doing, uh, for those of you that weren't here. Uh, we're taking some movies that everybody's familiar with, and we're editing them down so that we can present one clear biblical truth that's presented in the movie, and then we're splicing in footage of teaching with it. Uh, so, and then there's like free popcorn, there's free pop, there's free candy. Uh, so it's a super easy and super powerful way for us to be able to present the gospel in really a unique way, and in a way that's really easy to invite your friends and people around church to come and be a part of it. I think I think it's now four people that came up to me and told me, like, that message was just for me. And people are in tears. It was awesome what Jesus did through some Mike and Ikes in a movie. And uh, so we're excited about that. And that's going to happen uh, September 17th, the 24th, and then October 1st are the three weeks of At The Movies. We're going to be doing two services for that because we've been growing through the summer. And with the influx of new people, we're just going to need two services. So 9 and 11 a.m. will be the new service times starting on September 17th. And there are two things that we need from you to make At The Movies as wildly successful as it possibly can be. Number one is we need you to commit to volunteering for three weeks. In the seat back in front of you, there's a little ATM volunteer card. We want you to be able to attend a service. We want you to be able to serve a service as well. And uh, we need people and kids because there's going to be a lot of kids. And we need to teach them about Jesus and his love for them. You say, hey, I kind of like kids, but not really. Well, you can be a greeter for the kids area and welcome them in and you know, make the parents feel like we're not crazy. Uh, make sure they're not sneaking peanut allergy stuff back into the kids area. Uh, and you say, maybe I don't want to do that. We need people just to greet when you come in the doors. If you are friendly and you can shake a hand and smile at someone, then that's great. We need you to help welcome people as they're coming into Radiant Church for the first time. Maybe you're not friendly and you hate smiling. Well, we have a parking lot for you. You can go out there. You don't have to talk to anybody. You just do that when they come on in. Uh, maybe you're not good at that. We need people to work concessions to hand out lots of sugary products to people as they come in. We need people to help with the cleaning. We need people to help out with the tech department. So if you can help do anything in any way for three weeks of At The Movies, fill out that card, turn it in at Guest Central, and uh, we'll be doing a little bit of training for you, and we'll get you involved in that, and it's going to be awesome. Then the second thing we need you to do is we need you to invite we're putting a lot of effort and resources into creating this, and it's all with the heart of you know lots of people who don't go to church. You know lots of people who are far from Jesus, and they could really use a touch of God in their life. This is the easiest way you can ever invite someone to come to church. It's, hey, we're going to watch a movie. We're going to eat some popcorn. It's going to be great. There's nothing that's threatening about that. So invite your friends, be praying for them. Maybe there's someone you've been inviting for a long time, like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to come eventually. That's what I get a lot. They say, hey, now's the time to come. We're going to eat Mike and Ike's. Come to church with me. And odds are pretty good that they will come with you. So sign up to serve and start inviting, inviting, inviting all over the place because God is going to do something absolutely miraculous here. I 100% believe that. Now if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 6. We're continuing our series uh, going through and investigating Jesus uh, through the written account of Luke. 
And this month, in just a couple weeks, Ann and I are celebrating our 12-year anniversary, which they said it couldn't be done to her, not to me. Uh, everybody knew I was getting the better end of this deal. Uh, over the 12 years, she has been just an absolute saint, a model of what every wife uh, should be, and I have won the most improved player, I guess, because I was a terrible husband when we started. And I'm a, I'm a bad husband now, but that's like growth for me. Uh, so it's just really awesome to see what God's done in our lives over the last 12 years. And I was thinking back as we were talking about this, hey, we're going to be married for 12 years soon. I was like, oh yeah, I knew that. I'm, yep, I knew that. And I'm thinking back to when we first got married and uh, we, were, we were young, we were in love, we had a lot of passion for each other, and we didn't have a lot of money. Uh, probably the story of a lot of your lives. And so for our honeymoon, we went to the world's most romantic city, Chicago. Because we wanted to go to Hawaii, but we also hate debt, so we could afford to go to Chicago, so that's where we went. And uh, we got to do lots of romantic things like uh, avoid fights between drunk people on trains and get lost trying to get connecting buses to go out to the zoo. Um, we got to meet a lot of people who were always like, hey, do you have $5? You know how that is. And it's like, hey, like, I honestly don't, and that's why I'm in Chicago now. <laughs> instead of Hawaii, and I'm not going to give you money, but I would love to take you out to dinner. You can come with us. We're like, no, no. And then one couple actually took us up on it, and that was actually, it wasn't romantic, but it was a really cool subway dinner that we had with a homeless couple. Um, so I encourage you to do that. Offer to take someone out to dinner next time they ask you for money, and God will do something amazing through it. And uh, we decided we're going to splurge like one time while we're here, because it is our honeymoon. And so there was a steakhouse that we'd wanted to go to, but the prices were insanely high. The wait to get in there was very long. Even when you made reservations weeks ahead of time, you still got there, and there was the line outside the door. You're waiting for your reservation. People are waiting forever. It's like, man, this place, it better be good, because we're waiting a long time for this. It's costing us something to do it. Uh, and so we get in there, and they give you the ice water. It's how you start, and you're like, hmm, I mean, it's good, but probably wasn't worth the weight that went into this. There better be something more than the ice water that's coming to us. And so we, we make our order, and I'm like, this might be my last meal. The, the credit card man might come and demand my life of me after this. And so we get it, and like the steak comes, and it's this ribeye steak, and it's like bigger than my head, it seems like, and my head is big. And I'm thinking, there's no way I can possibly eat this, and it's sizzling on the plate as it comes out to you. It's like, oh my goodness, this is so awesome. And then the garlic mashed potatoes, were like, you just like wanted to like smear them all over my body. <laughs> they were so good. And we're sitting there, and we're eating it, and I'm like, I'm so glad we didn't come for the ice water. I'm so glad that there was something that was there that was more. And our meal was so awesome that we came back for lunch the next day. Uh, <laughs> And that's the only two times we've ever been there, probably will ever be there. But it was like, now we tell our friends, oh, you're going to be in Chicago, you've got to go to this place. Oh my gosh, you're going to wait forever. It's going to cost you everything that you have in this world. But those potatoes are going to be awesome, and the ribeye is so good. And we found that it was worth the expense, it was worth the waiting, it was worth the effort that it took to do it. And the question that I have for all of you is, have you found that to be true in Jesus? Have you found Jesus to be worth the expense? Because following Jesus is expensive. It only costs you your life. That's, like Jesus' pitch is like, hey, take up your cross, die, follow me. It's like, all right, like this better be worth it because I kind of like my life that I'm living right now. It takes a lot of effort. 
There's a lot of waiting involved in following after Jesus and the life that he's called you to. It's a lot of saying no to things that you used to want to do and things that used to be okay for you. It's a lot of, honestly, brokenheartedness when you look around at yourself, when you look at the world that's around you. But have you found the price that is involved in following Jesus to be worth it? Have you found the price that's involved in living a life of pursuing the king of all kings intimately and knowing him and living out his plan and purpose for your life? Have you found it to be worth the price? So I think what makes a difference for people that have found it to be worth the price and the people that haven't found it to be worth the price is who you view Jesus to be. Because what I'm afraid happens so many times is we come to Jesus and we're just looking for the ice water instead of looking for the meal. You come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, can you make my life better somehow? God, I need self-esteem. Jesus, can you give me self-esteem? It's like, Jesus, you can find self-esteem other ways than by being a Christian. In fact, when I first became a Christian, my self-esteem tanked. because, like, oh my gosh, I'm terrible. Like, I might be the worst person that's ever lived. And then Jesus started doing something inside of me. If you come to Jesus, I, I just want a group of people to belong to. Now, the church, what's awesome about it is it should be the most belonging place on the face of this earth. But it isn't the only place you can belong. You want to belong somewhere? That's why people join gangs. And I'm not saying go out and join a gang. But there's other places that you can belong outside of the church. So if you come to church just looking for a place to belong, just looking for some self-help, then what you're getting is the ice water. And you're going to drink it and you'll say, that was pretty good. But it's not worth my life. It's not worth walking away from everything else that I had. It's not worth the price that I have to pay and the time and the energy that goes into it. It has to be something more that we find in Jesus that makes it worth the price that we're willing to pay. And this is what we see happening in Luke chapter 6. In verse 17, um, this is taking place right after two weeks ago message, and it says, When they came down from the mountain, the disciples stood with Jesus on a large level area, surrounded by many of his followers and by the crowds. There were people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem, and from as far north as the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. And that might not mean a lot to you, but what we see is Jesus is drawing massive crowds. It's not just his 12 disciples, it's not just the 120, but thousands of people are coming to follow Jesus. And when it gives you that geographical area there, I hopped on Google Maps a couple days ago to see how big of an area that is. It's 104 miles as the crow flies to go from Jerusalem to Tyre. This is before cars. People are walking an area of 104 miles, thousands of people, to come to the place where Jesus is. That's a five-day walk. If, like, if you're in good shape and you're walking well, it could take you five days to walk to where Jesus is. We had people, like, I invite people to church, oh, that's like 15 minutes from my house. <laughs> what? 10 a.m., like, that's way too early. What time do you go to work? Oh, I have to be there at 7. That's like three hours extra of sleep you get. Like, come meet Jesus. It's so worth it. Because people, if you're just looking for the ice water, Jesus, that's where, oh, you know, it's like 15 minutes from my house. Or you know, I, I, It's like Sunday's my one day. I'm supposed to play golf on Sundays. Like, those are the people that you don't find it worth it. That's the ice water Jesus that you're pursuing. But these other people that are walking for five days to come see Jesus, they have found him to be significant. 
They found him to be the garlic mashed potatoes of life. There is something about him that they want desperately and they're willing to sacrifice great time and resources to come to the place where he is. And so why is it? Why are these people doing so much to get to the place where Jesus is? Because they're, they're leaving families behind. They're leaving work behind. There's no paid leave back then. Their crops are being harvested and they're saying, I'm going to leave my crops behind. There is an incredible price that is being paid by these thousands of people who are coming to visit Jesus. And just to give you some perspective, these towns where Jesus is in, like Nazareth, they say that was between 50 and 100 people. 50 and 100 people is the size of this town in the north and Thousands of people are converging upon it to meet Jesus. You ever wonder why Jesus had to feed 5,000 people miraculously? It's because there's nothing in a town of 50 to 100 people that can feed that many people. It took a miraculous work of Jesus to do that. So these people are coming, and this is what it says in verses 18 through 19. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those troubled by evil spirits were healed. Everyone tried to touch him because healing power went out from him and he healed everyone. Why were they willing to have such great sacrifice and effort to come to the place where Jesus was and encounter his presence? It's because of what Jesus really has to offer you. It's so much more than we're often looking for in Jesus. A lot of times, the only times that we'll see Jesus like this is when we get to the broken and the desperate place in our life where everything else has failed us. And the only hope that we have is a miracle. The only hope that we have is Jesus moving in our lives. The reality is every single one of us right now, we're living in that state. We need Jesus desperately. There are things that only he can do that we need but often we don't recognize that. We're like the emperor. We're walking around naked thinking that we're clothed. But the reality is we're sick. We're oppressed. We're sinful. We're flawed and we're broken. And the only hope that we have is for Jesus to do something inside of us. That's the reality for every single one of us. And this is what happens when you come to the place where Jesus is. This is what we can look for. This is what we can expect from him. It says, uh, number one, that they came to hear Jesus. The words that Jesus spoke were unlike the words that anyone else speaks. Uh, you could throw on Oprah. She's an excellent communicator, says some really nice sounding things. But she doesn't have the words like Jesus has. There were lots of rabbis that were traveling around, lots of teachers at the time Jesus was walking the face of the earth, even people that were saying they were God. That's something that's been happening for all of time. You can find people that think they're God. Uh, go check out my wife's work sometime and you will meet lots of them. <laughs> and I know some of, you, some of you think that you are the mother and father of God. I've seen how you treat your kids. So I'm going to move on. <laughs> Anyways. But when Jesus speaks, it says that the crowd say, he has boldness. He has authority. There's power in his words that we've never heard anyone else speak. When Jesus speaks, we encounter love, we encounter forgiveness, we encounter mercy. When Jesus speaks, we receive identity from him. It says that God's words themselves are what brings life to us. 
We don't live on bread alone, Jesus says, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You were made to hear God speak to you. You were made to feast on the words that God speaks to you and to let them soak down deep inside of you and change who you are. You're supposed to let that change the way that you view God. You're supposed to change the way you view yourself and the world that's around you. The words of Jesus bring life. I love this. The woman that's caught in the act of adultery and they bring her before Jesus to stone her they leave the guy behind because that's what they did. But they bring the woman forward and they're going to say, hey, we caught her in the act of adultery. Allah says that we must stone her. What do you say, Jesus? And you know the story. He doesn't say anything to them. He just starts writing in the ground and one by one the people start walking away. A lot of people think he started writing down the sins of the people who were there to stone her in the ground. And when they saw, oh, I'm out. And he says to the woman, woman, where are your accusers? She says, they've all gone. He says to her, and I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. You know what those words meant to her? The value that she received from the words of Jesus? When she saw the heart of God on display, the love, the mercy, the forgiveness that he had for her? And then also when she heard the call that I don't have to live in this life anymore, that God's created me to do something better with my life. I don't have to continue to live as a slave to sin, but I can live out the life that God's called me to, free from that. Those words changed her life and so many other people that came to him. Jesus teaching about his kingdom and what it looks like. We're going to go into the Beatitudes next week and we see the words of God and the new kingdom ethic that we're supposed to live out and how beautiful it is. When we see the hope that comes from the words of Jesus spoken to us, we need the words of God. The major decisions I've made in my life, like planting this church with Anna, that came because God spoke something to me and it changed my life forever. Some of you are here this morning and you desperately need to hear a word from God. And the good news is, is that he speaks and that when you press in, when you pay the price to pursue him and to come after him and walk away from all the other sinful things that you've been involved with, you will hear God speak to you and it will bring life and peace and hope and joy to your soul. The second thing it says is that they came to be healed. There were lots of sick people. There's lots of sick people now. Hospitals keep getting bigger. I hate that. One of the things when we moved to Ann Arbor that Ann and I uh, and my team, before we even moved here, there were seven of us, and we gathered in a room at Radiant Church in Richland, Michigan, and we'd pray every Tuesday night for three hours. We'd write things, we had a whiteboard on the stage, and we'd write things down on there, and we'd just pray for a year before we moved here. God, would you come? One of the things we always wrote down on there was that this city is known for hospitals. This is a place where sick people go. This is a place where a lot of people go looking for a medical miracle. This is a place where a lot of people come to die. We've had family that have come here to die. And since before we came here, we prayed and fasted and said, God, would you work healings through Radiant Church? Jesus, would you come and do the miraculous, God? We don't want to see just the failure of the medical system, which I love doctors. I am alive because of incredible medical understanding and gifted surgeons. I am so grateful for them. We have so many great surgeons and doctors that are part of Radiant Church, and I'm so glad that God's unlocked wisdom and understanding for you. I'm glad for the price that you paid to study and take out all the loans that you took out and do all of that. Like, I love doctors, nurses, techs, all of them. But there's only so much people can do. There are times when the best that we have to offer fails. And the only hope that we have is a miracle from Jesus. 
And we've seen that. These people are coming to Jesus because they have diseases that make them unfit to be a part of their society. They're contagious things. And so the only way they could deal with it was to kick them out of the community. You're separated from your family. You're separated from your spouse and your children. You're separated from all sort of any resemblance of living a normal life in communion with other people. Imagine how lonely that must be, how heartbreaking it must be. People that know that they're going to die, that there's no hope for them, there's no cure for what it is that they have. There are people who are crippled, there are people who are blind and deaf and every other sort of sickness that has ever existed. It was alive and it was well then. And these people are coming to Jesus. I love what we're talking about the guy. He's carried on the mat by his friends and they cut a hole in the roof and lower him down. And why do people do this? Why are they going to such great lengths? Is because they know that Jesus can heal. Did Jesus heal every sick person on the face of the earth? Obviously not. And I'm not going to sit here and try to theologically explain, you know, why is it that I prayed for healing and I wasn't healed? That's not the issue. The issue is, what if he does heal us? What if God does a miracle? I can't, I mean, I really, I'm going to do a better job of communicating the miraculous healing stories that I keep hearing from what God is doing here. Because it is insane. It's I love it. And even like people go back to doctors and doctors are like, well, yeah, we have no idea. Like a miracle happened. I've even had doctors tell me that. Like, I don't even like go to church, but like a miracle happened. And I'm like, yeah, I know. You should go to church sometime. It's awesome. But people were coming to Jesus because there was no other hope for them. And they came to him, all who were sick, and Jesus touched every single one of them and there was no sickness that was greater than Jesus. There was no situation that ever came up to him that he wasn't able to overcome. We had to have that kind of faith. We had to have that kind of tenacity and perseverance. I'm still believing for miraculous healing in my life because I'm not a normal person right now. I've still gone through incredible pain. And getting ready for this place, I was hospitalized twice in the month of April because of pain and you know, passing out. My wife thought I'm dying. It was It was rough. And I'm still believing that Jesus is going to heal me and that won't be the way that I live out the rest of my life. And even if I do, on my deathbed, I will believe that Jesus can heal me and then I'll wake up fully healed and say, okay, my timeline was a little bit off, but you still healed me. But I'm going to believe for Jesus to come and to heal me and I'm going to continue to pray by faith for healing for all of you. And if some of you get sick and you remain sick, that's okay because the king is coming and he's going to work full restoration inside of your body. And I'm not going to give up and compromise who it is that I believe Jesus is. I'm not going to compromise his word. I'm going to keep coming back to Jesus and say, God, you are the healer. I believe you to be that. And I'm going to go to great lengths to come to you in your presence so that you can work your healing in us. And then number three, they came to be set free. And this was speaking to a lot of people where there's demonic activity that's going on inside of their life. Uh, tormented. Um, you see examples of like really obvious, like, oh my gosh, this person has a demon. They're frothing at the mouth, beating people up, spinning their head around, whatever they're doing. Like, there's really obvious examples of that kind of stuff, but there's also um, things that are more subtle and you might not recognize it, where it's uh, something like just like a constant anxiety that you have, uh, being tormented in your dreams, in your thought life, different things that can go on that can cause you to live with demonic oppression on your life. They're tormented, so they come to Jesus and it's says that he sets them free and he heals them. And I'm all for that. I've seen Jesus do it a lot. People struggling with sin issues. A lot of times that's because there's a demonic activity that's going on in your life. 
people are like, oh my goodness, like, is that freaky? Well, no, because uh, as, as Christians, we believe that Satan is doing things to try to keep you from living the life that God has called you to, and that you have a sinful, fallen nature, and that's not the result of God at work in you, that's the result of demonic activity at work. It doesn't have to be scary and freak you out because Jesus has authority and power over all of that. And we see that play out in ways that a lot of people wouldn't recognize. But yesterday, what we saw happen in Virginia is a clear example of demonic activity. When I saw the pictures, it broke my heart. Because you know white supremacy is there, you know racism and hatred are all there, but it's usually been kind of hidden, right? Like, it's become less socially acceptable for us. But yesterday, when you see people throwing up the signs, when you see all of that stuff going on, and it comes and it confronts you in your face, and it reminds you that those things that maybe were out of sight and out of mind never went away. And it's proof that evil still exists in this world, and it's proof of demonic activity that is still going on in the hearts of people. It's completely counter to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That entire movement, the whole alt-right movement, the whole idea of the superiority of one race over another is demonic, it's from the pits of hell, and it has no place in the hearts of any believer in Jesus Christ. Because here's what racism does. This is why it's so evil. When you get down to the heart of it, is we're created in the image of God. Every single one of us are created in the image of the Almighty God. Jesus, the one who is supreme, we're created in his image. So anytime we try to elevate ourselves over someone else who's created in the image of the supreme God, we're elevating ourselves over Jesus. That's theologically where it all starts. And that's how it can lead to so many other things. Because when you elevate yourself over God, now you become the one who's a determiner of what's right and wrong, what's just, what's fair, what even God says. And so you're able to go down trails that will take you places that are just absolutely, absurdly evil and it will seem good to you because you've elevated yourself over Jesus. And when you do that, then you're able to hate other people. It's what we always do. It's what we look at what happened with, go back to the finding of our country, with the Native Americans. Well, we want the land, so we have to find a way to make them so they're not really human or that we're better than them somehow. And then you look at what we did with, you know, the whole African slave trade. Well, we want people to work, so we have to make them less human. They're not as much the image of God as we are, which allows us to do that. We do it with our unborn. We just continue to find ways to devalue life and elevate ourselves over others and in doing so, elevate ourselves over Jesus. The good news is this. That Jesus, who died on the cross and overcame it all, he's united all of us back to the way it was always supposed to be and he's building himself a family. And what we can see happen in the church on our best days when we're living out the way God called us to be is that we see all people who we've done all these things to build divisions between ourselves, to elevate ourselves over other people, to devalue and dehumanize other people. We see all of those barriers come down through the gospel of Jesus Christ and we're united not into people who just tolerate each other. Tolerance 
isn't the goal. Unity is the goal. We're a family. God is building for himself a family, not where I just tolerate you because you're my sister and I have to, but I love you. You're my sister. You're my brother. And I'll lay my life down for you because of the love that I have for you. That's what Jesus is building. That's what Jesus died on a cross to restore and to recreate for us. And that's what we have to fight for. But what it takes for that to happen is for Jesus to come and to set people's minds free. Because all of the people, and it's easy to hate them, but let's be real honest. Like, I'll, I'll go first. I'm a racist, I'm a sexist, I'm a classist, and if we ever discover aliens on another's land, I'll be a speciesist. Because that's what's in the human heart. It's what we tend to gravitate towards. We always try to find ways to differentiate ourselves and set ourselves up over other people. And God, forgive me for that. And God, continue to do a new work in my heart so that all of those things are broken down and that I come to conformity with the image of Jesus. And that's my open repentance before all of you. And I think that we all have to do that and acknowledge that those are things that dwell inside of every single one of our hearts. And if we don't let Jesus check us and transform us, then we're going to go down a road that's going to take us into the worst that you've ever seen humanity do. And if you think that you don't have it in your heart to be capable to do these things, then you're a lot more like those people than you think. Every one of us is capable of hate. Every one of us is capable of evil. But Jesus comes and he renews our hearts and he renews our minds and he sets us free. So when you see these people, you know what I see? I see people when they're doing their sig heils and they're carrying their confederate flags. I see evil, but I don't see an evil that's greater than Jesus. And I see people who Jesus died for so that they didn't have to continue to live like that and bring so much hurt and destruction to the rest of creation and to live so far from the God who loves them and gave his life for them. We have to stand with those who are oppressed and lay our lives down for them. But we also have to stand for the oppressor and to lay our life down for them as well. Because through peer pressure, through protests, through social media, we might have the ability to drive things underground. But what we're finding out is that if it's just driven underground, it'll pop up again. It's like a weed. You've got to pull it up by the root. And Jesus is the only one who has the ability to pull those roots of sin out of our hearts. We need Jesus to do a miracle. We have to do our part. We have to work. We have to stand. We have to use our voice. But we also have to use our knees. And we have to get down on our knees and pray that Jesus, the only one who can do it, would come and that he would move those hearts because Paul, the great oppressor, became the one who brought liberty and peace and freedom to people. And even Peter, one of the head of the church, he even found himself falling into racism. He separated himself from the Gentiles. It can happen to any of us. And Paul had to come along and say, Peter, you're being an idiot. It was actually even meaner than that sounds right there. And call him out on it so that Peter could repent and come back into conformity with God's will for us and him building his family and redeeming and restoring the entire earth. Jesus can set you free. If you're struggling with that right now, if you're struggling with fear that's been brought on by the, the things that you're seeing happen and the oppression that you faced, Jesus can set you free from that fear. You don't have to live with that fear in your life. He'll give you a fear that the world, I mean, a boldness that the world cannot understand. And if you're struggling with racism and hatred in your heart, 
then you need to be real open and honest with God and say, Jesus, I know this isn't what I'm called to. It's not within me, but would you come and would you change my heart so that I would love my brothers and my sisters, so that I would go from being the oppressor to the one who stands up as their greatest advocate and the one bringing freedom and liberty to them. That's what the church should be. That's what the church should do, and that's what Radiant Church has to be. And we are going to do that. We're going to work to find better ways to do this because it's too important of an issue for us just to turn a blind eye and do nothing about. And then number four, they came because power went out from him. Not just good words, not just affirmation and love, but it says power actually came out from him. Miraculous, supernatural power came out from Jesus to bring healing to people, to speak words of God that changed hearts and minds that revealed God to them. Power went out to remove demonic activity inside of their lives. Power went out to unite hearts together. When we come to Jesus, we come to the one who's all-powerful. And he's not shy. He's not wanting to withhold this from us. He wants to use his power to bring healing and freedom into our hearts and into our lives. It's what he came here for. It's what he wants to do in you. And it says that they're, they're trying to touch him because they knew that power came from him. So this is the question for us all this morning. Have we been willing to go to great lengths to sacrifice everything so that we can encounter the presence of Jesus? If you haven't been, it's because you haven't realized what it is that Jesus can do. You haven't recognized the power that can come from him. You viewed him as the ice water Jesus. And this morning, we need to raise our hope. We need to raise our faith and our expectation of what it is that God can do inside of us because he can change you. There have been some incredible heroes of the faith that have gone before us. And the only thing that's different than, from them and the only thing that separates us and them is the level of surrender that they had to the work of God in their life. The level or the, the, the price that they were willing to pay to take hold of all the things that Jesus had for them. God wants to use you greatly in this generation. God wants to use you as an instrument of reconciliation. Jesus wants to use you to show off his power his power to heal, his power to save, his power to set free, to redeem and to restore, to bring hope and joy. These are the things that Jesus wants to do in you, and then these are the things that he wants to do through you. Will you pay the price? Will you press in? Will you pray like you've never prayed before? Will you worship like you've never worshipped before? Will you come to the scriptures and search them like you never have before? Will you serve like you never have before? Will you tell people like, about Jesus and what he has for them, what he can do to them like you never have before? Because it's going to cost you something. C.S. Lewis said this, you have to die before you die because after you die, it's too late. This life I was living before Jesus wasn't worth it. Best thing I ever did was to say goodbye to that, to die to, the, to me, my own plans, and let Jesus give me new life. 
a new purpose in life, new dreams, a new destiny. That was the greatest thing that ever happened in my life. I wish I'd done it sooner. But I'm so grateful that he's so merciful with me. And he was willing to take me where I was and begin to do something new in me. And I'm still as messed up as anybody. But Jesus is leading me somewhere. And he's changing me. I'm not who I used to be. And the more I seek after him, the more I find him. And the more I find him, the more his power changes my heart. It's worth the cost. It's worth the wait. It's worth the price that you will pay. Because you need it in your heart. Our church needs it so desperately. And the world around us desperately needs it too. The world's waiting for the church to be the church that Jesus created it to be. We're the only ones that are holding it back. So you stand up with me this morning. We're going to take communion together. And the ushers, like, you can start passing that out. I'll have you just hold on to it. There's juice in the bottom. I don't, there's juice and bread in two cups. I don't know the order. But we're going to take it together. But before we do that, we're just going to spend a moment worshiping together. Scripture says that if you have something in your heart against someone else, you need to allow, like, be forgiven of that first. You need to forgive that person. You need to release them. If there's something that God's speaking in your heart, there's some issue that's going on, if you need Jesus to do something to change you, let's just take a moment. Let's just come before Jesus. We're about to be united together in celebrating the Lord's Supper. First, let's get our hearts ready for that. Allow him to speak to you. On the cross, Jesus' body was broken. Broken in ways that we can't even begin to understand. It was by breaking his own body that he was able to make a new one. That's us. It was through his broken body that we were made one family. People of every nation, every tribe, every tongue. All being restored to the value that's inerrant in every single one of us. Because we're created in the image of the King of all kings. We were created in the image of Christ who is supreme over all things. And on the cross, Jesus was reconciling us and our hearts to himself and to each other. So as we take the bread this morning, we remember that we're one body because of Jesus. And on the cross, his blood was shed. That didn't just cover over our sins, but it removed our sins from us. And not only that, but the power of his blood has the ability to go to the human heart and to change it and to rip out the root issues of sin that each and every one of us were born with and that we've acquired through this life on this earth, through all of the evil things that have caused division and separation. Not only have we been forgiven of those things, but Jesus has made it possible for us to live a new, united life with each other, filled with love for Jesus first and foremost, and a love for each other as brothers and sisters, as co-heirs destined to reign and rule with Christ Jesus. As we drink the juice this morning, we remember the blood of Jesus and what it bought for us and the call for us that comes along with it. 
Jesus, thank you. We never could have earned this. We never could have deserved it. But you poured out your life for your enemies. And in doing so, you made us family. Jesus, continue to do that same work in us. Continue to do that work in our city and in our nation. Jesus, make Radiant Church truly radiant. We want to be a part of the ministry of reconciliation. Launch us into that, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm going to call my prayer partners forward. Name of the outsides here. If there is anything that we can pray for you about, uh, if you need miraculous healing in your body, Jesus can do that. If, if you need freedom in your mind, Jesus can do that. If there's a sin issue you're struggling with, Jesus can do that. If you're going through hurt and pain right now and fear, come and let Jesus himself minister to you. Uh, if not, the ushers are a pad. You can throw your little uh, cups in there. Go out, drink some coffee, meet some friends. Remember, uh, turn in your volunteer card for At The Movies because it's going to be awesome. Invite some friends, and we'll see you next week. God bless.